Welcome to another episode of Arab Identity Program presented to you by the Arab American Center for Culture and Arts. This is your host, Wissam Sharafuddin. 100 years since Faisal bin Hussein was crowned as the king of Iraq by an Iraqi government with which Britain would conclude a treaty providing for eventual independence. What is the importance of that event to Arab identity? And what is the importance of that event to Arabs today? What inspirations and lessons we can learn from that event? Today's program will be special in that I am not presenting any guests with me today. Today I want to take the chance to get out of the historical context and speak to you on this occasion on why do I care and why should we care about modern Arab history? Why should we remember these milestones in our modern Arab history? The importance of Faisal is not that he was a king, not that he was the son of Sharif Hussein, the Sharif of Mecca, and not that he was from the Hashemite family that belongs to the ancestry to Prophet Muhammad. The importance of Faisal is that he was an Arab young man who looked around him at the Arabs and the Arab situations and was distressed by seeing them occupied, suppressed, demeaned, and abused by the Turkish rule and living below their potential deprived from their own actuation and falling backwards year after year as the world advanced forward. And he decided to take action, action that will put him in a David versus Goliath confrontation with the Ottoman Empire. And despite the fact that he was highly respected in the Ottoman government, not only as the son of Sharif of Mecca, which is the second highest religious authority in the Ottoman Empire after al-Sadr al-A'zam, but also because he was an intelligent man who was educated in Istanbul and knew Turkish, English, and French, and had a very strong military career. He was respected in the Ottoman Empire for that, and after his successful military career, he grew to be the representative of Jeddah in the Ottoman parliament. So he decided to do something about the situation, to have a renaissance in the Arab world, to have a revolution by the Arab people while having no weapons, no power, nothing but their identity, honor, strong will, bravery, and determination to accomplish that. Now I can connect with him. Looking at our Arab world today, and the need of a new renaissance that can lift it from its dire situation, we need people like this for inspiration. Was he alone? No, he wasn't. Arabs have been an intellectual and cultural renaissance since the 1840s. All over the world, even the immigrants, the expats, like the Penn League here in America. Everyone knows Jubran Khalil Jubran. Well, believe it or not, Jubran and Faisal had the same feelings, thoughts, and intentions. 
Arab intellectuals formed many organizations and secret societies to fight for their rights and for the Arab Renaissance, and they paid so much sweat, tears, and blood for it, among which was the Fatat organization, Young Arabs, that was formed by the Arab students in the Sorbonne in Paris in 1907. Members worked hard on fighting for Arab rights within the Turkish Empire, and Abdullah, Faisal's older brother, and he's also the great-grandfather of King Abdullah of Jordan today, uh, he was a member in that organization, and he introduced his brother Faisal, because it was a secret organization. He introduced his brother Faisal and inducted him into Al-Fatat in 1915. And Al-Fatat met secretly in Damascus in 1915 and decided to start the Arab Revolution led by Faisal and solicit recognition from Britain and fight for an independent Arab state in Asia, from Turkey to Yemen, and from Sinai uh, and Red Sea to the Arabian Gulf and Iran. This is called the Damascus Protocol, written on a small piece of paper that Faisal had to hide it in his shoes, traveling back to Mecca from where the revolt is intended to start. Because if he is to be searched by the Turks and for that document to be found, he will end up hanged in the town square in Beirut like all his comrades who were hanged recently there. That square in Beirut is now called the Martyr Square. The Arab Revolution started in 1916 led by Faisal with weapons and gold support from Britain based on Hussein McMahon agreement to recognize the Arab state and support Arab independence while the Arab state will give economical privileges for Britain. Britain and the Allies have entered war against Germany and its allies in World War I, and the Ottoman Empire stood with Germany, and Britain strategically supported the Arab Revolution to its advantage. The Arab flag was raised for the first time in 1916 with four colors from the poem by Sophia Din al-Hilli describing some of the great qualities of Arabs using these four colors. These four colors are still in most Arab flags today. These colors are despised by colonialists, and they tried as much as they can to have flags for the Arab world that are far enough from this flag so they will never remember the Arab revolution and the Arab identity, but they failed most of the time. The closest flag today to the original flag is the flag of Palestine, which to display it is literally criminalized by the Israeli colonizers today and since 1993. The revolution that lasted over a year from June 1916 till Faisal and the Arab army freed Damascus from the Turks in October 1918 and included tens of battles, hundreds of martyrs, hundreds of stories of heroism and patriotism and sacrifice that you know have not really been uh, expressed or talked about enough. There are no movies that depict that period except very few that focuses on other things like Lawrence of Arabia that focuses on uh, uh, T.E. Lawrence who was an, a British intelligence in support of the Arab cause. The British didn't want a strong and fast Arab win so many times they squeezed down the support as much as possible to slow down the Arab revolution and the French sometimes who, who barely helped 
they actually sometimes worked against the Arabs' uh, advance. Arabs were fighting the mighty Turkish army, one of the great powers of the world, with simple weapons, swords, mostly on foot or horse or camel. Nevertheless, they fought hard till they freed all the Arab world in Asia entering Damascus before the British, making it the capital of the Arab state and raising the flag on it and in Beirut and in Jerusalem and in all the other major Arab cities in the Levant. Although in Beirut, the French could not stand the scene of the Arab flag and they lowered it after nine days. The first order of business was to fix electricity in the city and Arab engineers fixed it within 24 hours, which surprised the British when they arrived. They did not think that the Arabs were capable of such a thing. Soon they formed the Syrian parliament and voted a constitution, um, uh, a constitutional monarchy and appointed Faisal as a king over it. But the French and British had a different plan. All of you know their plan is called Psychis Pico. The secret agreement that was uh, made in 1916, but was uh, brought into public eyes in 1917 by the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia. And uh, basically it became um, known all over the world by 1918. Uh, the Psychic Pico Agreement is basically an agreement between the, Brit the Britain and France mainly to carve up that area uh, between the two of them. Faisal fought till the last breath and he attended the Paris Peace Conference in 1919 to represent the Arab people's determination for self-rule and independence. But that fell on deaf ears in Versailles by many of the colonialists. And to tell you the truth, there were a lot of racism that Faisal had to face. Many considered Arabs just like they thought of Indians, native Indians, that is, nothing but savages who are not worth independence or self-rule. And this is a quote. From there on, things went downhill with the French waiting, wanting to destroy the project of the Arab state and independence. And they entered with their tanks into Damascus, annihilating the young Arab army in 1920, whose leader was the Minister of Defense, Yusuf al-Azama, who was martyred himself in that battle. He faced them until he ran out of bullets, and then he fought them until he was martyred. Faisal and many comrades ended up in the desert, um, Dara'a, south of Syria, uh, basically planning to stay there and do guerrilla attacks against the French. But then there was a decision to exile Faisal. And also there was a political battle that he needed to fight. So he decided to go to France. But wait, he's wanted by France. So he went to Italy to find a way to attend uh, the conference, the peace conference that was still going. And uh, basically he was forced into exile, eventually going to London at the invitation of the British government. Well, in the meanwhile, Britain had established a sphere of influence in Iraq, uh, but there was a revolution also in Iraq at the same time. All the Arabs revolted at the same time, and there was a, a revolution in 1920 in Iraq, and, to, and it basically almost uh, destroyed the British occupation in Iraq. To ease resistance to the British rule, Britain decided in March 1921 
to sponsor Faisal as king of Iraq, uh, of an Iraqi government with which Britain would conclude a treaty providing for eventual independence. That was a solution that was going to quell down the revolution and kind of satisfy uh, partially the uh, Arab revolt. Faisal accepted the plan. He was always pragmatic, always accepting some and asking for more. And he was enthusiastically welcomed in Iraq, where he was crowned in August 1921, August 23, 1921. Today is the commemoration of 100 years that passed since that day. His ability to command widespread support in Iraq as well as Syria provided a continuing indication of nationalistic feeling among Arabs of the entire Fertile Crescent. Indeed, as a pan-Arab leader, he had no specific political roots in Iraq. He's from Hejaz, deriving his authority by moderating various conflicting elements. He valued British friendship while maintaining his full credentials among fervent Arab nationalists as their leader. From his position of influence, he negotiated with Britain a series of treaties, every, every treaty trying to gain a little bit more, culminating in the 1930 with a treaty that enabled Iraq to achieve complete independence and membership in the League of Nations by 1932. And that's why Iraq was the first Arab country to, to get its independence and to be recognized in the League of Nations. Uh, Faisal stood up in his coronation day and read out a long speech. He saluted the martyrs of the Arab Renaissance subtly mixing the Arab revolt with the 1920 rebellion. But he also praised the British and emphasized his commitment to British alliance and its importance to the regeneration of Iraq. That was the style of Faisal, trying to maintain diplomacy at the same time emphasizing the Arab revolt and the Arab cause. By the end of his speech, he promised that his first task as a king would be to arrange the elections for a constituent assembly. The Iraq that Faisal has helped form was a very modern and uh, democratic state, although it was a, a constitutional monarchy, but it was a democratic state. And he shows personally that day. Why did he choose August 23? Well, it was the 18th of Dhul-Hijjah, which was also Yom al-Ghadir. And Iraq has a very large, almost a majority, uh, is Shia uh, uh, Muslims, whose Yom al-Ghadir was a very important uh, celebration for them. And he wanted to uh, basically give that uh, religious indication uh, in his uh, coronation. It was very challenging for him to uh, lead uh, a nation like Iraq, who he just arrived to two months earlier, uh, but he did that in a great way. And he uh, used, of course, the help of all his comrades, uh, the Arabs that uh, were members of the Arab uh, revolt. Now, why do we commemorate Faisal's coronation? To tell you the truth, the coronation itself is not significant. It means nothing to Faisal, whose goal is complete independence of the Arab world, undivided by the colonial plans. 
Faisal wanted an Arab state. He wanted uh, an independent Arab state and not Sykes Pico protectorates. Faisal wanted what all the Arabs want at that time and continue to want today. But it's an important milestone in the continuous effort to trying of trying to carve the path of independence of the Arab world. It's important for us because the Arab world is not fully independent yet. There are some countries today that still suffer from direct occupation of a colonial power like Palestine. And to tell you the truth, Palestine will continue uh, to, uh, uh, to be at war, or to be in, in an unstable situation as long as uh, there is colonial power. And for uh, the Jews in Palestine to, to, to resolve that struggle, they have to stop acting, the, the government of Israel really, has to stop acting like a colonial power in order for any prospect of peace to, uh, to begin. Some countries still suffer from the divisions and systems created by the colonialists for them. Just like Faisal suffered from them, we are still suffering from them. And Lebanon is the best example. Some countries were carved up in a way that prevent them from sustaining themselves or having any type of strong economical prospects or serious development. Drawing circles around the, uh, uh, around the economically uh, very rich areas with resources while drawing circles around areas that have no, uh, not much economical resources, of course, you're going to create an instability in the, in the region. We talk about Faisal because a man with uh, this scarce resources that he had was able to secure with his Arab comrades the first Arab, Arabic independent state. He was able to secure the first Arab independence with not much resources, with no weapons, with no production. Oil was not yet uh, a major thing at that time. He did it with diplomacy, with determination, with, with, with the strength of the will. And he helped not only the independence of Iraq and the forming of the state of Iraq, which he only saw as a as, an, as a, just a step closer to forming the Arab state. These states were just pragmatic states that Arabs were trying to achieve in order for them to get back to, the, to their natural status of having an Arab state. And I'm not talking like this as a, you know, from a pan-Arabist perspective, and I'm not saying that this uh, can apply today in the same fashion. Of course, we passed that stage in history Although we haven't passed the, the, the natural reasons why Arabs have to be together, we cannot overpass that unless we want to defy our nature and defy the nature of the region. Uh, and we'll talk about this in a second. But the, uh, there is no way for the, uh, the countries that were created by Sykes-Vico, most of them, course, we know that most of them actually had a tremendous advantage uh, uh, by having, securing all the oil fields uh, to themselves uh, while they are a very small country. 
but most of the countries that were carved by the colonialists at that time, uh, basically it prevented them from sustaining themselves or having any type of strong economical prospects of, of a serious development. There is no prospects of serious de economical development in the Middle East while these borders uh, stop uh, the flow uh, between one country and another in the uh, Arab world. We talk about Faisal because a man with uh, this scarce resources, he accomplished uh, a lot, while we have today a lot of a lot more resources. We have we are much more richer in our resources and tools. We have them at our disposal, but we don't have a lot of men who are like Faisal. We don't have an Arab identity as strong as the one that Faisal and the Arab revolutionaries at that time and the Arab intellectuals from the age of Nahda, from the age of the Arab awakening or the Arab Renaissance uh, till the time of the Arab revolution, we don't have that same uh, uh, identity and intellectuality in many cases. And we need to uh, um, ensure that uh, this uh, rhetoric or this narrative is alive to uh, uplift us and to uh, inspire us to continue the struggle of our people to embetter themselves, to seek freedom, to seek independence, to seek economical uh, progress, to seek social progress, to seek uh, progress in uh, human rights, to seek progress in uh, state structures. There are examples in the Arab world where this is taking place and there are uh, a lot of uh, attempts, like the attempts of the Arab Spring that uh, have not been uh, fruitful at all or they were hijacked in many cases. Uh, but these, these are, it, it represents the feelings and the uh, needs in the Middle East and these feelings and these needs and these uh, emotions have not uh, disappeared. The situations have not disappeared. The situations with which, from which these uh, zeals have been born and this intentions and this energy has been generated are still there. Uh, what are some of the inspirations that we can receive from Faisal? Well, Faisal was from Hijaz and he was and he, uh, when he freed the Arab world, he, Damascus was the capital. And he was, uh, uh, then he moved to Iraq and he uh, established the uh, Iraq. How can a person uh, move from Damascus to Iraq and within two months in Iraq, he becomes one of the most Iraqi persons? It's because this is the Arab identity. I am as Iraqi, as Lebanese, as Syrian, as, as, uh, from Hijaz, as from Yemen, as from Oman, as from Egypt. We have a, a common uh, history. We have a, a common uh, spirit. We have a common language. We have a common memory. We have a common culture. We have a common taste. We have a common uh, traditions that bring us closer to each other. Another inspiration, and, and by the way, Faisal was not the only one. The Faisal, if you notice the governments and people at that time in the Arab world, they were from all over the place. 
Rustam Haider, uh, who was with Faisal, he was from Lebanon, from Baalbek, and he was the minister of, of finance in Iraq. And you have Iraqis who were uh, ruling Syria, and you have, uh, you know, there was no such thing as uh, these countries that have been created by Cyprus people and by uh, colonialism and that we believe in them today as uh, separate entities. Uh, that is something that is new to the Arab uh, psyche. Another inspiration is that Faisal was a Muslim, but his Islamic identity was secondary uh, to his Arab identity. Uh, his Islamic identity was complementary to his Arab identity. Uh, his Islamic identity did not suppress his Arab identity. He formed a government where, with uh, Christians and Jews and uh, Muslims and all religions, and that was not a topic uh, of discussion uh, at that time. And uh, that is uh, a very much strong example that we need today of the person, the Muslim, who respects his Muslim identity, respects his Islamic identity, has a connection uh, with, uh, you know, his faith and his beliefs, but that does not stand as an obstacle or does not stand against his true cultural identity and uh, his uh, national identity and uh, does not stand as an obstacle against um, the renaissance of his people. Faisal also had integrity, had values, and he represented that uh, worldwide. When he went to the uh, Versailles uh, conference, he went with his Arabic uh, dress and Arabic uniform, and he represented that uh, that he was one of the most noted people in the conference. He spoke very eloquently, and he had a very high level of integrity. Faisal in Iraq, he died with barely anything that he left. He actually had uh, loans on himself because he had uh, spent all his uh, allocations and all his money on the hospitality and generosity with, with the people. Uh, Faisal also was an example of uh, uh, an Arab who would learn from the West and he would not uh, shy away from uh, learning what is better and implementing it in uh, his country. And that's why every, all, especially Iraqis, they know this very well, that during uh, his rule, uh, there were tremendous progress in Iraq in terms of universities and schools and industries. And he's one of the first uh, people who emphasized sending uh, the young graduates to study in the biggest universities in the world. He would go visit them personally to ensure that they are uh, doing well and they're getting what they need to gain that uh, progress in science that was accomplished in the West and to bring it back so they can serve uh, their homeland. So a lot to learn from Faisal. I do not want to uh, make this a very long uh, episode. Uh, I wanted to uh, just take the opportunity, really, to commemorate the 100 years of uh, coronation of uh, King Faisal. I have uh, looked uh, around uh, online. I didn't find many events. Uh, such as this, uh, although there was a new stamp produced in Iraq uh, in commemoration of the 100 years uh, to the uh, 
coronation of uh, King Faisal. And again, uh, it is not about Faisal and it's not about the coronation. It is really about uh, this, this historical narrative is a very important inspirational inspiration for us today. And it emphasizes the good things about our Arab identity and how can it be a light uh, that uh, sheds over our humanity and helps us and pushes us with its great values, with its great stories, with its great history uh, to always try to take a position of leadership in serving humanity. Thank you, and we'll see you next Monday with the 12th episode of the Arab Identity Series with Dr. Adnan Jaber. We will be talking about uh, psychological aspects of identity and layers of our identity and uh, also uh, clashes or uh, struggles and conflicts within forming of multiple identities. Thank you, have a great night. And uh, we shall, uh, all of us uh, see these examples come uh, alive to us day after day as our new generations produce uh, such uh, uh, individuals who are great servants to our people and to all of humanity.